So welcome back to How AI Built This, um, the podcast dedicated to AI and entrepreneurial storytelling. As always, we're sponsored by Cathcart Associates, so big thank you to them. Today on the show, I'm speaking to John Brody, um, founder of Aquila Insight and recently announced CEO of Fourth Point, a new data company in Edinburgh, which we will get into. Welcome to the show, John. Hi, Liam. Good to be here. Thank you for coming. So we always start with a little walk through kind of education and career. I think I got this from your LinkedIn, but you went to uni in Glasgow, right? I did. I went to Caledonian uni, actually, yeah. Nice. And it was like ma- a management science degree. Is that just a really it, fancy way of saying management? No, 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 no. I get abuse for this all the time. Actually, Vicky Byron was uh, giving me abuse for this. So it's, uh, it's a new way of saying operational research, right? Um, so there's a lot of stats in it. There's a lot of maths in it. But she always says, yeah, you're a business guy. But no, no, no. <laughs> so uh, weirdly, I did uh, I did civil engineering first and uh, I didn't like it. I come from a whole family of engineers and uh, I went to do civil engineering and I didn't like it and ended up just doing maths and thought, what can I do? And they, uh, they had this management science uh, degree. Um, which again, just trying to rebrand operational research because people weren't doing it, but it's a subject I really liked. It could be a new title for that kind of weird job where you need a data scientist that understands the business. Because I, I, for the last couple of years, I've been peddling a business data analyst. It's not really taken off yet. Maybe a management scientist would appease people some more. It must be, but it's, it's that mix, isn't it? You, uh, a lot of people want to do cutting edge data science, and then you've got a lot of people who do data analytics or business analysis. Maybe management science is the way to do it. Maybe re- do it, follow the unis and rebrand it all. <laughs> rebrand it all, and everyone gets paid more. That'd be good. <laughs> you kind of kicked off your career in financial services at kind of Bank of Scotland, and then digital agencies. That's quite a big. Oh, that's quite a big change, right? So, how, how was the kind of entry into FS, uh, and then what was the attraction to kind of digital agency life? So I think I did what most people do when they graduate and not have a clue what you want to do, right? Um, I went, <laughs> day one, I was like, what are we doing? So I remember vividly in the last sort of couple of weeks of uni, there was about six of us, and we just started kind of Googling, and again, the internet was fairly new back then, um, jobs in this stuff, what can we do now? We've been focused so much on getting our, our thesis done that we were like, right, what are we doing, what are we doing? There's three or four really interesting jobs. Um, one, and Actually, on the, on the same day, I had three interviews, and I got all three jobs, which was great. Um, but... It was, it was. But the Bank of Scotland job was the one that leapt out at me. They were just setting up a, a new team in, uh, in credit card analytics. They, they hadn't looked at that data and uh, they were putting together a new team. And I was interviewed by a guy who was amazing. I'll talk about David a little bit, hopefully. But the other person in my team at that point was Warwick. Um, so day one on my job, I walked in and there's Warwick Beresford Jones and this guy, David Wangerin, who both of them taught me so much in the first couple of years that I just thought, yeah, this is exactly what I wanted. This is uh, this is opening up an opportunity just to explore data, which is at, at a bank to be able to just give you a free reign to go, go find some interesting stuff uh, was perfect. That's class. And it's so cool. I didn't know that you'd uh, met Warwick there as well. That's pretty cool. I'm, I will go on to, to why in a bit. Um, I suppose we've talked about this a couple of times, but financial services is probably the kind of first industry to really think, like, oh my God, we've got loads of data. Like, what can you do with it? So you were you, a good choice, I suppose, getting into Bank of Scotland at that time. Really lucky, um, rather than choice. Uh, there was two other two other jobs with software jobs. I didn't really fancy that. So yeah, it was lucky. Um, they sold the, the job really well as well. They said, look, we, we've never really focused in this area. We want you to be close to the business. We want you to kind of go around, ask questions, find projects, and then say, okay, this is how we can solve it. 
so we taught ourselves everything. Um, we were we were taking code from US companies and trying to work out what they were doing and going, how can we apply this? So it was proper free reign stuff. It was brilliant. That's amazing. And then, yeah, so you kind of moved on from there and went on to kind of digital agency life, which is from, I don't know, because you were doing data work there, it might be different, but a digital agency is quite a different world from a bank. So there's a, there's a step before it, actually. So I joined a company called JWing who were really well known uh, at that point. Um, they were in the credit risk area. So this is the, the moving from FS into credit risk. They wanted to expand out of credit risk into market and analytics. So I was doing all sorts of market and analytics, customer analytics. To, and I joined, I was the 10th employee. This is actually quite important, actually, because Bank of Scotland was the last time I ever worked for a big company. So that was my first and last job at a big company until I sell Aquila into Dentsu. So you can see where this journey is going to go. Yeah, two guys, Martin Body and Andy Gardner, had set up J-Wing, and I was the 10th employee. Um, I think they got to about 600 at some point. Again, J-Wing is, uh, is now a big digital agency in Sheffield. Uh, but back then, that's not what they were known for. They were known for really cutting-edge data science. And I, I was there for a long time and grew that analytics part. But during that process, they were acquired by the Digital Marketing Group. So they were built, Digital Marketing Group were building a big um, organization with lots of different components, PPC, SEO, digital content, and they wanted data at the heart of that. So they bought a data specialist um, and plugged it in. And that's why I became this digital person. I wasn't a digital person, I was a data person at a data company that then became a digital company. Ah, okay, that makes sense. And I was, and even just looking at your kind of initial J-Wing role, that makes sense because I think in it you – you were called like an insight consultant or whatever it was, but when you look at the the kind of nitty gritty of it, predictive model and segmentation, lifetime value, propensity models, you would just call that a data scientist now, right? Yeah, that's yeah. exactly what it was. And, and I, my first, well, my biggest role at JWing was to work at Egg. So we went to Egg Bank again, revolutionary business at the time. Yeah. Um, there's a really interesting thing on LinkedIn about the number of businesses where entrepreneurs had worked at Egg. They've, that sort of little gem of how this is how to do it because ultimately Egg were the first kind of challenger bank to yeah. take on that model. Ultimately, it didn't work, right? Ultimately, there was a there was a flawed business model. They uh, they tried to go into France and get people in France to take on credit. That doesn't work because culturally they don't like credit. But it was really interesting to see that again. That entrepreneurial spirit ran through Egg. Um, I was there for three years as a G wing. Uh, employee essentially working there, managing teams, finding projects. Everything I was doing at Bank of Scotland, I was then doing at Egg. And Egg's really important as well because I met so many of my future team, future clients were at Egg, future uh, people that I brought into Aquila were at Egg as well. So that, that those seeds were, were sown there. Um, so G-Wing and Egg are really important on this journey as well. If we don't get to it, we should. But um, it's probably already quite obvious that you kind of value kind of like relationships a lot because even now at fourth point there's lots of that like it's people you know you trust you've worked with like it's a good lesson for people is to kind of i suppose use their network but also just kind of remember the good people they've worked with yeah 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 yeah. that trust is important um but i i I like i'm kind of split personality i've got i love the new blood as well i love finding new new talent and encouraging that and, and i often Try and make, oh, you're, you're the new person that I used to know, right? Try and make those links between you've got everything that I've seen in somebody that's two or three, four years older than you. So let's try and kick. And I actually encourage people when they do mentoring is, is to look at somebody, somebody's career that's further on than them and say, actually, how, how did they get there? Try and, try, try and make it about a person rather than this vague 
career ambition type stuff you go no no specifically that person how did they get from here to there um, and then reach out to them and actually if they can mentor you great if not then at least you're giving somebody who is mentoring you bringing it to life about what you want to do so yeah no, I, 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 trust is really important meeting good people finding good people who are really frustrated in roles um, seeing other people's potential really um, and saying actually I think you're brilliant why, why, why are you why is your organization not saying that you're brilliant I used to work with you and I thought you'd be a superstar by now what's going on so it's just about trying to give them a helping hand in that as well yeah no that's amazing um, and we'll come on to some more stuff about team and stuff later we've kind of done a maybe too quick a whistle stop and not done it justice but let's jump into kind of 2012 time with, with Aquila Insight quite a lot of people that listen to this will probably know who Aquila Insight kind of were and, and are now um, but let's assume that not everyone does obviously it ended up being a massive success we talked about the team that you, you kind of um, built along the way already but we'll, we'll go into that a bit more and you mentioned already that the acquisition which we'll go into as well what was the I don't know what was the kind of initial plan, if you like. Like, was there something in your head and in what I said that you thought, right, we're going to do this, or how did it start, basically? So, I talked about the fact that and I worked together in our first jobs. We also tried to recruit each other for about ten years, back and forth. It worked once. We ended up working joint during, but I just left. I was basically working my notice period, so we'd always seen each other as kind of a, a similar in our career paths. Um, I'd always learned so much from Warwick in terms of the way he thinks, the way nothing's ever good enough. He's always, is this the best we can do? That always stayed with me. So um, we talked about doing something for years to the point our wives were bored of us talking about it, right? They were getting, come on, come on. We'd always thought, and it wasn't, it's not arrogance to think we could do things better. What we said is there was something missing, right? We were like, there's a way of doing it that's missing in what we're doing in data. I'd seen how agencies had operated because obviously I'd worked at iSpy, then but I was bought by a prospect. So I'd seen how big agencies do that work and, and, and do that um, client management, account management, and making sure that the client's at the heart of it all. And I'd also seen data specialists kind of not think about that at all, more interested in the solution. I, there was a classic one where somebody had turned up, I won't mention the, the name of the, the company, but they had turned up to present their findings on this data project. And uh, the people that were presented to had, had been let go. There was a redundancy program. They were not aware of this. They had turned up. The, the project had been set for two months. They turned up to present the findings. The world had moved on. They were in their little isolation bubble. Yet. And this, it's a better way of understanding how this would work. So we talked about it for a long time. Um, we'd always wanted to work together and do our own thing. Um, a great story. We we shook hands in the pub. We're definitely doing this. We're definitely doing this. We're, go, we're going out. To, we're resigned tomorrow. And I went home, and the first thing my wife said was she was pregnant with my daughter. So I was like, I've, I've shaken hands. This is this is happening. I'm not. And uh, we looked at it and thought, okay, well, we're all in now. The, the chips are in. We're just going to have to make this work because her, her mat leave wasn't very great. Um, so we're like, well, this has to work. Um, I don't have that much savings. You're not going to be earning soon. We're going to have to run hard here. And that, that gave it a bit of a mental, really. That's class, though. We've had, I can't remember who, somebody else was on the show. Oh, the, the guys at the data shed in Leeds, they, the husband and wife founder team, and they quit with a baby. And then I'm sure Anna got pregnant again right at the start of the company. And it was one of those where they're just like, ah, uh, this has got to work now. And like, it's all, you, sometimes you just need that extra bit. I think it's it's funny because when you do startups, there's a there's a kind of startup wheel 
you've got one right and uh, Scottish Enterprise will invite you to stuff and you go along and it's the same presentation about how to do a business plan or how to do this and how and you see there's a lot of kind of cottage industry type stuff going on little businesses who have been set up by somebody doing knitting or somebody making cakes and that's great right that's the ecosystem but we were like what what's next right and you read all these stats about how many businesses fail right and lots of them fail but lots of them can fail right because they are kind of lifestyle businesses yeah are you really heart and soul in there whereas i always thought the momentum from aquila was can't fail right if it fails kids are out in the street here i'm not paying the mortgage this is not going to fail and it's that you i love working with other i'm lucky enough now to work with a few other um entrepreneurs and help them and stuff and you see that look in their eyes that's what that's when you know that now again some of them will fail and some of them but but you want that passion that look that i'm, I'm running through walls now yeah we just posted uh, rich wilson's podcast i imagine he's one of those people yeah 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 he's a very um he's an inspirational guy um but also you can see he's he's he, there's a point he wants to prove to the world about his ideas, his way of working. That is that that passion, that fire. Because it's difficult, right? People, I think they all look at businesses who are successful, but it's a difficult journey. It's a proper roller coaster you're on, um, yeah. and you need something in the in the sort of times where it's not going so well that keeps you going. Um, I used to, I wrote a fairly hefty business plan for uh, Aquila, and it wasn't about the financials. It was about why am I doing this. And every time it was kind of going a bit shit, I had to read through them. No, no, I'm doing it for the right. That's why I'm doing this. That's amazing. Um, yeah, we've talked to loads of kind of entrepreneurs, and you're all built a bit different. Like so many of them, we get them on a bit earlier in the journey. So obviously, we're going to talk about Aquila and selling it and all that kind of stuff. But we talked to quite a lot quite early, and it's like, yeah, I'm, I've not had a salary for six months, and it's yeah. just like, I, but they, they say it with like a smile. Whereas, like, that makes me like recoil just the thought of it. Like, no money. It's a badge of honor. It's a badge of honor. <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm skin. Uh, no, it's, uh, it's, 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 it's a different type of person. Uh, but yeah, so Aquila, I would always say Aquila Insight were a data consultancy. Is that fair? It's, we always struggle to really put it into a pigeonhole thing. Uh, yeah, we did consultancy, but we did delivery. That was our thing. We wanted to make sure. We saw the difference. We saw Deloitte and Accenture go in and do great roadmaps, big, big pieces of work that this is transformational, and then kind of leave it to the client, give, give hand over the roadmap and say, good luck. Yeah. And then you have a look at the team and you're going, that's that's a big step for the team there to deliver this transformation project. So we saw ourselves as, at the start, certainly in between that. Give us that roadmap. Let us work with you. We've got the consultant kind of, element to us that's going to make sure that we hold the hands with the c-suite and the managers and make sure they know what's happening but we'll also make sure we can deliver it and take the team that's there the existing team on their journey as well and, and do the skills transfer piece so it was about sitting in between to say we'll deliver it for you but we'll deliver it with your team and we'll make sure that the management knows what's going on and the business knows what's going on nothing's done in isolation we'll sit down with we, we put governance frameworks in that Weren't, didn't exist in data world before, right? Be able to say, this is where we're going, this is our weekly elements. We were looking at what software was doing, agile, all that sort of stuff. We're like, what is this? I took a, a crazy squads and tribes approach to trying to do um, structure. Anything that we were like, that's interesting. How would that work in our world? So Aquila, it was data science, it was data engineering, it was data consultancy. 
We then built our own analytics platform. We built it for ourselves. We wanted to do work faster. We were interested in bringing R and Python and playing with it. How could we do that? So we set up, I mean, kudos to bringing in Jonathan Forbes, CTO, who's now at Flow. He, he had a bigger vision of what we were doing. He said, no, no, well, actually what you're doing here is the start of cloud, right? So we're right at the start of cloud technology. We're bringing in all these different components. And as we were working on it, um, a couple of our clients, they looked at kind of over the shoulder of a few of our data scientists. What's that? Can we can we get one of those? So suddenly we were a tech company. We were selling technology, um, which was an interesting kind of pivot halfway through to be a services business that's now doing technology. Um, with all the investment that needs, um, we probably plowed nearly three to four million into the technology, all bootstrapped. We hadn't went and raised that money. So every time we were selling a big project in the services, it was feeding the technology. And that was great because we were, we were learning a lot, but it was it was very difficult to, to pivot from services to what we called it was tech-enabled services. So we were doing both. I suppose that works though, because yeah, you can get the kudos from, or the you've got the reputation for doing really, really good delivery. So obviously you're charging for that and then you can kind of feeding that back in is a nice way of doing it. One of the things I remember, so we did our one of our um, machine learning meetups at your uh, the offices, and I really hope I don't get this wrong. I'm sure it was Sean that spoke um, at the time was one of the principal data scientists, and I really liked his way of explaining how you guys did projects. Like you met with a client, you agreed with them what the problem was, and you just solved it. I know that sounds really simplistic, but he was like, "We don't do the fanciest stuff." He was like, "We can." And if, if there's a place for it, we'll do it. But so many people on the show, it's now become very obvious that the biggest problem with data science projects are is often there's a huge disconnect between like the business you're trying to solve a problem for, whether that's internal or external, it doesn't really matter, and how you go about it. And the people that seem to have made a really big success, either individually as a data scientist or as a company, it's like they just keep it simple. Yeah, yeah, totally There's agree. the big secret. <laughs> well, it's... Our industry is so tied up with trying to prove how clever we are, right? We, it's it's inherent in every... We've done a lot of psychometric tests, psychological lot of profiling of our teams to understand how we're all very introverted, but we're all kind of show-offs as well, right? We we want to do really sexy, cutting-edge work. And I'm the same. I like doing that sort of stuff. Some of the computer vision stuff we did at Aquila, some of the stuff we're doing at Fourpoint, unbelievable. But I think there needs to be a realism about what our industry is and how much of that actually is part of what our industry is. It's a very, very small part. We, we make it this aspirational thing that you need to be building AI models and self-driving cars. That's what all data scientists do. And you're like, well, no, our, our job is ultimately to transform businesses, all types of businesses, through using data. Now, whether that is something very, very simple that allows a business to know what's working and what's not, or whether it is advanced AI, computer vision, being able to identify whether that fruit is ripe or not, you know, that's, that's brilliant. But it needs to fit this problem. What is the problem? We used to talk, and still talk about the value chain. People get it all wrong. So data, insight, action, value. You have to start with the value. You have to talk to the client. What What do you want to achieve? What's feasible, right? You've talked to many clients who want to do, I need it in real time. You're like, well, do you? Can you react in real time? What's your compliance protocols to get something actually in the hands of a customer here? Oh, that takes two months. So why do you need your data into in real time? So it's really understanding the system. And I think that's where lots of our 
industrialists or data scientists, data engineers, they live in bubbles, even in organizations, they, they, they create their own little bubble there and they don't understand the organization. And if, we, if we're not all part of it, if we don't understand it's critical paths, right? If this thing over here can't function as fast as your thing over there, it doesn't matter how clever your thing is. You need to make sure that you transform the whole thing. And I imagine some of the stuff you were building is what in that data engineering and data science world, everyone's getting really excited about MLOps and how to get big data science problems, scalable, or solutions rather, scalable and repeatable. That was probably just part of the Aquila offering, right? And it's just, again, it's just one of those things that you were maybe just, a, you guys and a few others were just that little bit further ahead, which is probably why it all went well in the end, because a lot of people are just cottoning on to some yeah. of this like value chain, like, um, scalability and solutions keeping it simple like what sean had said at our meetup like these things are now like it's, it's all anyone's talking about now but this was five years ago yeah yeah i mean it was late i was kind of drilled into us way back when warwick and i started in the early 2000s right that how is how are you making this change for the customers was always drilled into us but as it, it's it, that point um we ask in interviews all the time interviewing a data scientist when's the last time you productionized any of your work blank looks absolutely blank i don't know what you mean by that like okay well you t- talk me through how you build a model and you can talk for days on how you build a model how do you know a model's really good days on that okay how do you make that work in that big organization i have no idea and it's only as you're saying it's only really now that they've cottoned on to it but the organizations have caught on to it as well we, we we went through that trough of disillusionment in data science right that got yeah. us over that so what okay, it's great. We're paying big salaries over here to clever people and nothing's really changing. And it's, it is a big player of mine that, that we haven't really capitalized on so many good things because we haven't thought about how does this actually work in the big world? Yeah, no, 100%. And actually, even from a kind of recruitment point of view, probably 2015 to 17, it was data scientists left, right and center. Our clients were telling us we need more, more, more. And now it's like, Every so often, a client will ask us for a data scientist to join a team or set up a team. It's data engineers. They they yeah. all want data engineers. So, yeah, I think people have really cottoned on to it now, you would hope. Um, but again, just, just on that, um, so I was I went to the data lab for a bit and I was on the board and I was and they were very much geared for data science, master's data science, doing all. I was like, Where, where's the engineering part of it? Um, and yeah. when I was speaking to recruitment consultants, so some of your competitors, I was like, why are you not doing data engineering? This is huge. We've been recruiting engineers. And again, we had to go out at Jonathan Forbes Network. He would tap up young grads. Some of the ones in master's were like, oh, no, he looks a bit more like an engineer than a data scientist. Maybe that's the path. So it's, it's amazing that people have picked up on it, but it took a long time here. I was speaking to a client the other day and said, because they want something like eight data engineers from a range of people, but you'll have seen this loads as well. It's mostly the mid-senior principal and if everyone's fighting for a mid-senior principal, when there's already not that many of them, you need to do something else. And I, I suggested to them, and I was thinking we can maybe help with it as well, is doing some sort of data engineering academy, maybe not code clan s because I know they do stuff already, but like really specific, like, do you want to be a data engineer? We will give you the tools. Because you can get people from, like, you can get people from uni, you can get software engineers, you can get data scientists, you can get you could probably even get people that are in that DevOps world because so much of it links yeah. now. Yeah. So it's somebody's going to need to think of something to make it to make it work because there's all, not enough people. We're also in this. So 
organizations, industry, our vertical understood that data engineering was a problem, right? We've, we've got cloud solutions. We need to plumb it. We need to move the data. We need to make sure this all works. And then, again, looking five years down the line, all we're doing now is creating bigger data silos. Okay, yeah. now, now we've created, so we used to call it buckets and plumbing, right? So your cloud solutions is your buckets. Data engineering is the plumbing between them all, right? So you've, you're creating your, your pipes in your house, at some point, you're going to need to have a toilet, the sink, and stuff in the house, right? That's, so data science will come back at that point. Once, so, so again, it goes in waves. I think people are focusing more on the engineering than it needs to be focused on. But then there's also the so what? Now we've done all the engineering. Now we've got the plumbing. Now everything's connected. Where's the insight in that data now? Because all you're doing is adding more and more data sources into the into the mix. Yeah, no, that makes sense. And before we get into kind of 2017 time and the acquisition, so Aquila was Ewan Warwick. And then where did you get to before that point? Like I said, it got pretty big, right? It got too big. We, we kind of never set out to be as big as we, we got. We were really lucky with our clients. Um, we were global within about three months of starting. Um, we won Sony as a client. Uh, we won Tesco. But our, our client list was just huge in terms of brand names that you couldn't think that a little company sitting in Edinburgh would have, would have got. And then that led to mass recruitment we went from the two of us we, we every every year we did a little review and we showed the kitchen table warwick's kitchen table where we started day one it was us one laptop kitchen table one phone we're off to take on the world and uh by the end of it we had nearly 200 people all of which were data science and data engineers so that, that we, we were purists on that we we always tried to say well what else do we need like no this is what we're all about we're not launching a PPC element, we're not launching it because we could have, because that's you've seen a lot of organizations starting to branch out that way. And we said, no, we're going to be the biggest and best we can be in our sweet spot, which is understanding data. But yeah, it got pretty big. Yeah, we had, um, so you mentioned Vicky already, we had her on the show ages ago now. And she said that that time when she joined, I think she was like first 10 or 20, something like that. Um, she said that's like the most fun she's ever had, like at work. It was that kind of sweet spot of like, there's a few of us. We kind of know what we're doing, but we're still tiny. And then it just like that kind of next year to eighteen months where it just like exploded. Yeah. A bit. It's like that was just really good fun. It was great fun. It was difficult. It was hard to keep on. I mean, how how do you make sure the culture that works then expands? How yeah. does everybody buy into it? Other things I loved was the fact that it wasn't a piece. Of, it's not the Warwick and John show here, right? It wasn't that. We we just happened to steer the ship. But all the ideas, what, what is the best company you want it to be? What works, what doesn't? We had um, one of my favorite things, kind of a, a smaller thing, was we had so many. One, we were, I think, 60-odd percent female for a data company, which was uh, unusual. We were also massively multicultural. I think at one point we had 40-odd different nationalities in Aquila. And the guys then said, we'll do international lunch day. So people would come around, we'd open all that. Everybody would, all the offices would do it. Everybody would bring food from their background, their kind of heritage, and we'd all sit around and talk about it. And it was, that was not something that we had said, we should do this. That was something the team said, it'd be great. So I think if that openness, that cultural openness. But when I said out, the JWIN guys had said to me, this will be the defining point on your CV. All right? this, this will, when you look back and you see that on your CV, that's the thing that will make you smile. And that stuck with me, and that's what I wanted Aquila to be, is when you look back. Because we've got people leave during it and, and now who are now CDOs, there's people at Amazon, there's people at Google, there's people at Facebook, and you see these branches. Just pride that somebody that 
worked for me is now in these massive, amazing organizations. But I do love the fact that when they look back at their CV, they'll see a Quilla and smile. And you just go, tick, little 200-person company, but not quite Facebook, but I'm hoping it's a Quilla that makes them smile. That's amazing. Also, I love how you say little 200-person company. It's, it's still <laughs> massive. You've got to talk about acquisition in a minute. That's big boys. <laughs> oh, that's true. And actually, just before we touch on that, because it's something that's just kind of cropped up in my head, because we talk about culture loads of our clients. So quite a lot of our clients are Aquila when you were probably 10 people, right? Yeah, so that, yeah. that time, so many people are like, they're like fiercely protective of culture. But something that I've kind of kind of started to accept from our own um, company as well, once you get past that 10 20 it become it's almost impossible to keep it so you just you have to let it evolve but i think that's probably where a lot of startups maybe struggle in growth because they try and keep it like it was when it was you and morik at the kitchen table not 200 people in a massive office well something we're doing with gig at the moment actually is the um and forth is you set out with some values um, and but ultimately the values of any organization at a startup is the the founders and the co-founders and the early early adopters so they they will define those values the only way that value model can, can stay throughout the journey is if you recruit for it, right? So when you're doing your recruitment, bringing in people who also share those values and share those ways of working is how you nurture your culture. But it has to change and evolve because ultimately any organization's culture, one set from the top, obviously, as you've seen in some organizations, but ultimately it's the people that set the culture. It's their values. So it's about understanding what, what are the shared values and the best way of making sure that you create an organization where the original values have some sort of lineage through it is recruit for them. You, you bring in people who kind of share them, but maybe maybe challenge them in some ways, which is good. We used to do value ambassadors and we always made sure it was the, the new recruits that came in. They would go and talk about the values, present the values, but also challenge them and say, well, does this fit now? Is the organization changing? Is the world changing? The things that we thought were important three years ago, are they still important? So I think you, culture and values is something that you need to constantly work at and refresh and, and understand but you can't stamp it if you if you make it kind of you must be like this then people don't want to join that people want to join organizations that they can add to right it's mission space but culturally people want to say well there's a little bit of me in there as well and again i think that's what we did well with aquila i think what people now see like dan ferguson's and eleni's and all the people we recruited right who are off doing amazing things they're looking back and going there's a little bit of me there there's a little bit of my beliefs rather than John Warwick said, this is the way to do things. Yeah, and I'm, I'm sure they'll have taken that to a lot of companies I've went to, which is probably even more of a compliment. Let's quickly go, I don't want to spend too much time on Aquila and not talk about other stuff. Um, let's quickly go through acquisition time. So I suppose very briefly, but was it in you and Warwick's head that you might look at a sale or did they come to you? We weren't looking to sell. Um, we, we'd grown so fast. One of the, somebody had said to me early in my career that... Um, Growing is harder than, than shrinking, right? So so basically when things are going bad, you can make decisions really easy, right? It's about cut that, cut that, cut that. It becomes just focused. Growth is really hard to manage for any organization. When to grow, when to invest. But we just grew and grew and grew. And we because we were bootstrapped, it became really a capital problem, right? We, we would have certain clients who would delay payment for a couple of months. And we had almost a million pounds going out and going, hold on a minute. Right, well, what's going on there? We went out to get some funding. We got to the point where we needed to kind of go and get some some private equity. Really amazingly, we got fifteen offers in that space. Right, but we were, we were yeah, it was really really good. Um, everybody liked what we were doing. Everybody was in. Our bankers at the time had said to keep things competitive, 
we'll go and see if trade want to come in and just just keep things going. And Warrior, we're, we're not selling. And then amazingly, we had three big boys jump the fence and just say, we want it. So IBM, Accenture, and Merkel. Um, my mum still has the little framed letter of intent from IBM because that's the only company she knows. She didn't even know what we did, but she's like, IBM, I know them. And then we had this amazing merry-go-round where we had Accenture, IBM, and Merkel all kind of positioning and P. So for about three months, it was this crazy dance of trying to keep all these people happy and informed and what's happened. And uh, we look back, Warwick and I look back, it almost killed us. It almost killed the business as well, that whole process of trying to manage an acquisition or a funding round with that many players, meanwhile hoping that the business is still doing what the business needs to do because we, we, we couldn't look behind, so we had to trust the people had it. And yeah, we kind of we kind of felt like we just fell over the line at the end because it is an it's an exhausting process. Everyone always talks about it. So there's actually a few things you mentioned there. So clients not paying or delaying pay. It's my biggest bugbear in the entire world that huge companies don't pay small companies. It just really pisses me off. Anyway, also getting 15 offers from private equity is probably another one. We had a chat with um, someone else on the show recently, where the whole investment world is like it's it's all upside down. Like everyone's all kind of look at me, look what we might have. Can you give us loads of money? Whereas you guys built like a genuinely incredible business and then asked for a bit of money. So yeah. like, it's, it's no surprise that you got offers because you actually had something to show them. This is a good lesson. It, it is. It's a funny one. It's, well, it's, I mean, given that we were a service-based business anyway, so we could generate revenues. That's a, yeah. that's a big difference. A product business needs that to, 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 to work through their J-curve. But yeah, we did, we did lots of things by stuff. We didn't do any PR or marketing at Quilla for two years because we didn't want to talk about what we were going to do. We wanted to talk about what we had done. We talked yeah. about the clients we had won. Not, I, I, I get, again, why you need to tell the world how great you're going to be. We decided there's a lot of that out there. Let's try and be different. So we just emerged after two years with amazing clients, amazing people, a great story to tell. And then suddenly that changed the view of how you can do this. But yeah, certainly being able to show massive revenues and show consistent growth it's an easy decision for, for PE companies to say, okay, this this works for us. Yeah, they're probably all just thinking, oh my God, that's what I've been waiting for. And the only other thing you said there that was interesting, that's how it came up before, is uh, the acquisition thing. So we had Tony Lucas on the show a while ago that was um, acquired by Smartsheet. And mm-hmm. I was like, oh, I must have been amazing. And he was like, Liam, I sat in a massive boardroom with 3,000 bits of paper and just like slumped in my chair at the end of it. And he was like, not because they did anything wrong. He was like, it's just like, it's not what they make it out to be. <laughs> No, it's, it's, it's a long, drawn-out process. I mean, ultimately, for for an acquisition to happen, the, the metrics of the business need to stay flat, right? Because And every time it gets drawn out a little bit longer, every time there's another week to talk about something, the metrics change. So then it's, can we can we just reassess stuff? You're like, well, no, the business has to change. The business is still there. It's not, it's not stopped. Um, so that caused a lot of problems. We had... Um, we had a fairly generous options pool, um, 20-odd percent of the company that we'd given to the staff, which, um, again, was, was great for them and has been throughout this process, great for them. But there was a little problem in the legals, a little one little phrase that took eight weeks to fix and required HMRC to come through and change. Eight weeks of not knowing that this deal was going to actually happen because of one tiny little legal phrase in one document. Uh, yeah, that, that is a hard process. The legal industry needs to be shaken up by ai that's a good example of where it could help um and just lastly on that then was there a point because you said it almost killed you in warwick i mean obviously not literally but was there an acceptance that if it fell through the private equity was there and you guys would just keep on doing what you were doing 
Yeah, yeah, but we, we yeah. still had. So on the day that we signed, love this. Um, we had PE companies, two of them phoning on the phone saying, "Don't sign the documents. Don't sign it. Don't sign it." Um, and we're like, "No, it's the, we think it's the right thing to do." When you really break it down, um, a PE deal and a trade deal look very similar. It's just the outcome slightly shorter. Yeah. Um, especially in a business like Aquila, a PE deal would have meant some money now, five years, then the PE company gets out because they want their trade sale, and then Warwick and I and a few others sign up for an earn out then. And we're like, well, yeah. we're, we're doing that now. It might be slightly different quantums, but ultimately time was a big thing in our decision process, weirdly, rather than money, because both of us, because we'd done Aquila fairly young, we wanted to do something else. It was always the view that, it wasn't a case of build a quilla, sell a quilla, done. It was like, actually, this allows us to integrate it with Miracle and get out and do something else while we're still relatively young enough to do to another thing. What an amazing segue. You should have my job. You have recently been announced since by the time this gets put out, it will be there. CEO of Fourth Point. Yep. A kind of new player, if you like, in that kind of data world. And you mentioned like some of the computer vision stuff already. Tell us about, about Fourth Point what led you to, I mean, you just said you've always wanted to jump back into something, but what led you to that and kind of how it's all going? So I, I always knew that I wanted to do something. Um, I knew I was going to take a bit of a break after integrating with Miracle. That was a, a difficult challenge to do. I think that's, it's um, it's not really talked about enough about how hard it is to, when you are acquired to then integrate it with a big organization who are great. We learned so much from Merkel and Dentsu about how, how they value data and how they operate and how to make this thing work. They also had acquired another eight or nine businesses at the same time. So there was a hell of a lot of integration going on. But I left at the start of 2020. I, le- I think I left February 2020 with a view to take a couple of months and then go again. Pandemic creeps up on me and I thought the plan wasn't to get locked in the house with the children, um, which was lovely, but that wasn't the plan. It was have a look around, find out what's interesting. Um, I've managed to invest in some amazing businesses. The, the Zumo guys are doing unbelievable uh, gigs taking off. So being able to get back into that, working a little bit with the data lab on, on kind of community and, and giving back in that space. But I always wanted to build something again. Being an entrepreneur is addictive, right? That's that's one of the things I'm hoping that you, some other people have said. You just build in your own thing. It's just fun. So I'd look around, and one of the things that COVID had done is do a massive digital transformation in industry or industry 4.0 type businesses because they couldn't get into the manufacturing sites because they could, they weren't allowed in. How are we getting this? Can we do it remotely? Can we get data? What this this massively transformed that whole section. And what we're finding is agriculture is being transformed, sports have been transformed, manufacturing has been transformed. Banking 4.0 is there. It's not, I mean, FS has always been pretty data savvy on it as well, but they're starting to think slightly differently. So fourth came about was about, although Aquila had done everything, right? We, we were in oil and gas and we were in, in retail and financial services. Merkel and Dentsu are media and marketing, right? That's, that's, although they acquired us and we could do lots of things, ultimately, the goal for them was the best data science in media and marketing. So when we start fourth point, we have a look around. Go, there's so much more than that for us. Uh, it's, it's great where the guys are going and the people that that, that um, are, are still at uh, what is Merkel now or was Merkel Aquila. They're doing amazing work in that space. But we just thought, look at this massive transformation that's going on over here. Look at the data sources, people trying to get into cloud, um, people trying to think about data better. So we looked at it and thought. We want to do cool shit, right? There's some really, we want to do some interesting stuff in the space. We want to work with good people, but we want to do things in sustainability. We want to use data 
to change things for good. We've kind of done the data to sell more Mars bars, essentially, right? We've, we've done that. We want to try and go that there's a way of using data and, and helping people that are trying to transform the world a bit um, by being experts in that space. And the more you look at it, it's the same challenges, right? It's, it's, where's the data? Is it siloed? Can we put it in one place? Can we get it to the cloud? Can we understand what it's telling me? Ultimately, can we get some value from this asset that we're not currently getting? So the model is very similar. It's just in different industries. And is that message of simplicity and value chain will just be ringing through, but in different industries? And probably ones that appreciate it even more because they don't have a lot of the companies in like agriculture. They're not hugely I mean, I say not tech savvy. Obviously, they use technology, but not in that, not in the way that you guys will. No, they they haven't. Well, they've thought about it. They, they, I think because one, our industry's dressed up as we always do, just clever stuff over here rather than everything. There's been a bit of an education element about what data can do and where it can fit. And um, what's working for us massively is predictive asset maintenance. Being able to say, look, you have a machine that is generating data. We can tell you that it's going to fail rather than having to service it all the time. Because so usually they go around and service them every three months. We're like, no, 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 leave that one alone. That one over there is going to go. And that's that became a view of what else can you do with this data if you're going to tell me my machines are going to fail. Like, well, we can tell you lots. So that's opened up a brilliant conversation with many of our clients about what can data do for them. They've had quite a few times. I've heard about this data science stuff, but I'm not really sure how to get into it. Or kind of the worst one usually is we're about to hire somebody. You know, right, okay. Do you know what this person's going to be doing? Because you see, we've we've already seen quite a few people. There'll be a data scientist in isolation, or two or three of them in isolation, trying to make it work without really getting that connection between what the organisation needs and what the data people can do. Yeah, no, we've had so many horror stories of like the single PhD grad who's just been told, "Here's some data, go and like do stuff." Do data um, science I, on that? <laughs> yeah, I, don't, I mean, it'll work sometimes, uh, but yeah, no, the predictive asset maintenance makes sense, and uh, that kind of that that world, I suppose, uh, it definitely works. And something I keep forgetting to ask on the show, especially with founders, fourth point, the name kind of makes sense given you just mentioned it being kind of industry four point What was the Quilla insight? What, what is where did that come from? Uh, so I, I need to give a shout out to my wife who I met at Egg. I didn't mention that, but um, we were looking for names and we were looking for lots of different names. And she had she picked up constellations, um, and she's like, "Quilla, a constellation." We're like, "Okay." And actually, if you think about the, the constellations, it was the first way of using data to plot travel and directions. Right? They used the, used the stars. So ultimately, it was a segmentation. If you look at the stars and go, "Why have they grouped them like this?" It's a segmentation in the stars. So we went, oh, we love that. And then also the other thing was eagle, uh, Latin for eagle. And we're like, well, that's perfect because ultimately what we do in analytics is sewn in on prey. So eagle is very much about looking through into our focus. So it worked on two levels. I like it. Um, some of the stories are just like, it's just a word. What was available? It's just I was walking a Ford on the domain. Uh, well, fourth's interesting because um, we, we weren't going to call it fourth, but I wanted to think a bit bigger. We actually took forth from Alan Turing. From, oh, um, yeah. So we're going to make it about the sonnet. He's like an AI, the famous thing on Turing is um, an AI that can write a sonnet about the fourth bridge. Right, That's what he wrote. So we tried to call it sonnet. Like, oh, it doesn't really work. And fourth, Industry 4.04. And with this one, there's four founders. So we're like, we can't walk away from fourth and fourth point. So we became that. Yeah, and as you go global, it'll be nice to have a little nod to like the fourth as well. Um, no, that sounds good. We've kind of touched on this, and it's we don't have a huge amount of time left, but it's probably worth going to again. There's already a pretty impressive team in place at fourth point from from the outside looking in. I'm sure you would agree. 
there's clearly a bit of a knack between you, Warwick, and the other management team when it comes to recruitment. But is there like a secret other than what you've already mentioned? Or is it really just like hiring good people and letting them letting them go almost? It's about, so I've done a lot of recruitment. I kind of took the lead on recruitment for Aquila. I, my whole thing is understanding attitudes, right? I don't recruit for skills. You kind of, skills are a given, but skills can be taught. Right. If there are things missing, then we can find how to how to get that. It's about attitudes, really, for me. It's about personality. It's about um, what what makes them. Um, I'm I'm a big one about we're not finished. Right. None of us are finished on this journey of education that we're on. So I talk about the virtual backpack that we all wear and how are you filling that up constantly. So a really bad interview for me is when I ask somebody, so how do you keep on top of what's going on in our industry? And they go occasionally get put on a training program at my work right that is like no no no, come on this this is a, an opportunity to go and, and learn what's out there we've never had so many things at our fingertips to kind of go what's happening in our industry so that desire to kind of keep learning that desire that attitude of i'm not finished that's really been it and, it, and you can see it everywhere from from really experienced people all the way down to grads you get interview five or six grads it's the one that really has this kind of ambition to improve themselves and then our job is to facilitate that. Do you think sometimes it's easier to see that spark in a grad? Because almost when you hire like senior people or more experienced people, there's a potential for them to be kind of jaded. And like you said, people that you thought would be a superstar that aren't yet, there'd be loads of examples of that where they just need a bit of like, I don't know, a bit of direction or whatever. A bit of spark. Brilliant. Yeah. Find, find them the spark. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I, I, the desire's always there. I mean, even the jaded one, my, my sweet spot at Aquila was finding somebody that maybe two to three years out of university had taken one job, maybe another job, was really struggling to find their feet in our world and just go, bang, I can help you. Um, but also I've worked with really experienced people who just needed a bit of kind of show me a vision, show me that. I'll, that to me is the difference between being a manager and being a leader, right? The man, manager's about looking over the shoulder and oh, do this, do that, whereas leadership is there's a lovely big world over here if you come with me, right? I, I'm going to make sure that's that's a possibility for you, but ultimately you need to grab that. Merkel's CEO, David Williams, has he's like, you're, everybody's the CEO of themselves, right? It's, don't expect organizations to develop you. It's your job to develop you. You need to ask the organization for, for elements of that, but it's your responsibility to grow you uh, no matter where you are in your career. Yeah, no, that's amazing. And uh, last one, that probably answers itself having just spoke to you for 45 minutes but what's the people that you've hired at fourth point already so i know a few of them just from being in the industry and being in edinburgh kind of recruitment really really good people has the has the sale been very easy like have you will and the other guys has it just been here's the vision this is what we want to do jump on board a bit of that i mean there is a sell there though it's not um this is not aquila two Right, this is this is very different than that. So they have a lot of questions about that. I, I like that. That it's not just a case of oh they're doing it again. Come on, this is ultimately at first it was Neil and, and Will's baby, right? About what they wanted to do and, and let's let's go. But when I'm speaking to people, it's about this the the new areas that we can go into, the new ways of working. I never think we got our structure right last time, so I want people to come with ideas. Um, so again, it's 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 selling the, the dream of what the possibility that we could go on here. Um, so, yeah, it's not a fait accompli that people just go, oh, yeah, I'm definitely going to join. It's more come, I, I, again, as I, as I said about the CEO of you, 
Come with questions, come with doubts, probe us, make sure that this organization is going to do what you need it to do and push us as, as hard for, for excellence. Because that's back to Warwick's brilliant thing about, is this the best that we could do? Because he asked that all the time. I want everybody at Forth to ask that question of us all the time. Is this the best you can do? Are you the best place for me in my career at the moment? And if not, you better get there because that's, that's what we're building. Nice. Amazing. I think that's a good point to leave it. There's so many more questions I've got, but we'll, we'll maybe revisit. But thank you so much for joining. I'm really looking forward to seeing how, how Fourth Point evolves um, in the coming months. I mean, it looks exciting already, so I can only imagine a few months down the line. Hopefully, hopefully. You never know. As I said, a lot of businesses fail, so there's certain challenges that we need to overcome, but um, you lay as much of the foundations that you think is the right thing. I'm, I'm a real fan of, um, it's a brilliant book by Bill Walsh, um, who's the ex-49ers coach, who talks about the score look takes care of itself. Yeah. Um, which is if you do the right things on the training field and you do the right things in game and you do the right th- ultimately the scoreboard will look after itself stop focusing on the score and I used to do that at it was interesting coming into Merkel Dentsu where it's all about the score what's your targets what you're doing next year because of aimlessly business they need any, anybody listed on the markets need to be able to hit numbers and have targets but I, I'm a big believer that if we build the right environment put the right people in have the right conversations have the right processes the score looks after itself love that Um, Well, thank you so much for joining. Really do appreciate the time. Loved it. It's been really good.